Today we're going to do something a little different than what I normally do. There's been a topic that's been on my heart a lot this week. I've shared it with a lot of people over the over the near recent uh, days. I ask you to bless this time as we go through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Now we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get you out of, the, of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto the land that I shall show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make you a great name. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And then looking quickly at Exodus chapter 3. I'm not sure which verse I wanted, but in chapter 3, it's at the fiery, fiery bush, and God calls him to go back to Egypt, and he makes all of his excuses. But it ends with, he finally goes. So I've been looking at this and talking a lot this work about idea of believing in God and how and what it does, what does it mean and our movie was all about that this week as well plus I've had several conversations at the prison and with different people even in the church about what does it mean to believe and go forward with that we're told in the scriptures 325 times to believe now I was kind of shocked that it was quite that high and you know one of the things about belief is in the Bible, the word belief does not just mean that I believe something is true. Okay? Probably everybody in this room believes that we live in the United States. <laughs> I would hope so. Most people probably believe that there have been a president called Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. None of us have ever met them. They are facts that we know in our head. And there's lots of things that come down to facts. But you know, when we look at belief, belief always has a next level attached to it. The whole idea of belief is that we take and act upon what it is that we are believing. All right? I can believe in a lot of things, but not go out and do something. There's a famous story that a lot of pastors use, and I'm going to tell it. I didn't have a chance to verify it, but talk about this guy who walked over a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he walked back, he had a wheelbarrow, he walked back, and he goes, how many of you believe that I can carry a man in the wheelbarrow across the falls? And everybody raised their hand, he goes, who would like to get in? <laughs> okay. Now, everybody had a belief that he probably could do it. And I don't know if the story is true, it's probably not. But it does make the point. Belief in something that we will not put our trust in is not belief. When we talk about being saved, when we talk about following God, it takes a belief that says you go beyond just saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and came for my sins. I believe that he will come into my life, and we actually do it. And that's what belief really comes down to. And for us as living, God tells us that we are to bear his cross. And this is kind of thing, I read these stories for one reason, because there's all kinds of stories I could have taken from. 
Now, we could have taken Daniel going to the lion's den, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. We could go into Isaiah preaching and losing his life. You know, we can go all the way to Jesus being obedient and believing that the Father had sent him to die on the cross so that he'd be resurrected. You know, how much does our belief cost us? And this is something that is very important for us to come down to. When we get saved, we can say, I believe that I'm a sinner. That's not real hard for us to understand. You know, all of us are sinners. And we know that we're sinners. We know that we deserve punishment. I can even say, I believe that Jesus came and he was the Son of God and he died on the cross and rose again. James tells us that the devils believe, but they're not going to heaven. Because they're not putting trust in, into that statement. It's very important for us to take our belief and go the next step and make it something that is real and say that I'm going to follow God. Now, each one of these people, they took steps. Noah, we look at Noah, he spent 120 years building a boat. <laughs> Can you imagine everybody making fun of Noah? Now, Noah, what is this stuff? You're talking about water falling from the sky. It's never happened. You're talking about a flood. We've no, we don't know what you're talking about. And you're great, building this great big boat in the middle of a plain with no water. And you're telling us that God's going to destroy this world. We look at Abraham, Abram at the time. Leave your family and go to where I'm showing you to go. This was in a day when people didn't leave their families. And he said, leave your family. Can you imagine that conversation with mom and dad? Mom and dad, dad God's told me I'm leaving. Now, he is 75 years old. He, you know, he, he is old enough to leave on his own. But it's still, it was something you didn't do in that day and age. And he says, God told me to leave. Moses, happy, happy shepherd in the middle of nowhere after having been, been chased out of Egypt as a, as a, as a, uh, and he's under warrant of arrest. He steps back into Egypt, he goes to be executed for murder. And God says, go back to Egypt. Have you ever wondered why he didn't want to go back? You know, been there, done that, I tried to deliver them, they rejected me and, and I got chased out. I'm wanted for murder there, God can't go back. God says, go back. We all know the story of Jonah. Jonah said, go to Nineveh. He says, nope, going the other way. And God brought him back. When God asks us to do something that is going to be our cross, on this side of the event, it looks like something that is terrible. Moses says, God, you're telling me to go to Egypt. They're going to execute me. Noah says, you're, going to, you're making me build a boat. You know, it's just going to be me and my family, eight of us that are surviving with a whole bunch of animals. Abraham's saying, you're wanting me to leave everything I know. That one's probably the one that we most can, can, can get used to. God, you want, me to go some, you want me to go where? I don't know anybody there. <laughs> my family's all here. My, you know, my, my church I love and grew up in is, is here, and you want me to do what? When we approach a challenge from God, it looks hard. And I'm going to say it probably is hard. <laughs> 
when we come to the moment of salvation. Salvation is really hard because I have to say, God, I give up my right to do what I want to do and to, to live the way you want me to live. Why do most people not get saved? It's for that reason. I am not going to give up what I think I like doing to do what God's asking me to do. Why do we reject what God asks us to do so often? God, I really like where I'm at. I'm happy. I, I, I like the status quo. I, I'm okay with where I'm at. And God, it's kind of scary. You're telling me to go do whatever. You want me to talk to who? You want me to be nice to who? You want me to really love that person? God, you want me to forgive them? They don't deserve to be forgiven, God. I, I can't forgive them. God, they're kind of scary. I, I'm afraid they're too smart for me. I don't want to talk to them. God, I can't leave the safety of my family to go to this new place. When we are on the side of a cross and God is saying, go forward, it's scary. It's scary to step out and obey God. It's scary to give up what I enjoy for what God is placing out in front of me. It is scary to go out and do something that is outside of my comfort zone. And if you've ever stepped out for God, you know that what he keeps asking us to do is to step out of our comfort zone and say, depend on me, is what God is saying. Depend on me. Trust me. It is not easy. It is not easy to do. It wasn't easy for us that are saved to make that commitment to turn our life over to him. To become a Christian and say, God, I surrender my will, my soul to you to do what you want me to do. And most people will say, well, I'm just, I can't give up, you know, I hear all these things, I can't give up my smoking, can't give up my drinking, can't give up my drugs, can't give up my lifestyle. And you know, there's a two-way street. Part of it is God's not asking us to immediately, but he's saying, turn your will over to me. And when we turn our will over to him, it's amazing how he changes our will. When we're willing to give it to him, it's amazing that he takes it away and you don't miss it. At least that's not been in, in, in my case. God says, I want you to give up something. And it might not even be very sinful. I've told you all, I used to be an extreme football fanatic. I watched football all the time. I loved it. I could tell you all about it. The first time God says, give, give up football, I say, oh, no way. I like football too much. But you know, when I finally said, God, I'm going to do what you ask, it's amazing how the desire and everything disappeared and was replaced by something he put in instead. That doesn't mean I won't watch any football or anything, but I'm not addicted to it and desire to be watching it 100% of the time. So the question is, what has God asked you to do? When you finally say, God, I'm willing to let go, God will say, good. Because he lives in us. He wants us to be like him. And it's not something he's going to say. And we don't give up these things just to say, God, I, I, I'm doing this to, to get brownie points. I'm doing this to be well known. No, God says, I'm doing it. I'm, you're changed from the inside out. And he says, just follow me. He comes in and he indwells us. We give up and we say, God, I trust you. I believe you enough to trust you. And I've shared with you, I don't know how many of you have ever done repelling. I've done it twice. 
And it's quite interesting because I'm a big guy and I was a big guy when I did repelling, not quite as big as I am now. And they put this harness around me and put this little skinny rope for me to hold on to <laughs> and said, go over the edge. <laughs> now, I was pretty lucky. My edge was only 40 feet high. You know, it, was a, it was a wall, but it was still a little tiny rope and a big guy <laughs> saying, this, this has got to hold me. This is what it means to trust in Jesus. I go over the edge and say, God, I'm putting my whole trust in you. I'm not reserving anything. I'm not trying to keep one foot on the top of the ledge while the rest of me hangs over the edge. I'm not whipping with my hands to the edge of the cliff. I'm saying, God, you've got me. I'm going over. This is not easy. It wasn't easy when we got saved, and it isn't easy when God asks us to serve him. It is hard to put that complete trust in him and say, God, I am dependent upon you and you only. So many people in our, in our, in our country especially try to do what's called designer religion. You know, and it's kind of funny, they go, well, I like Jesus over here, I like what he said about this, so I'm going to take him, I like what Buddha says over here and put him, I like what, what uh, Krishna says, I like, you know, I kind of like what I say on this area. <laughs> and they make their own mishpash of religious beliefs. What's wrong with that? Who is God in that scenario? You have made yourself God. God, I'm the one that is going to decide truth, and that makes me God because I'm the one that's deciding what's true. We need to say that I truly trust God in all that he says. And this is what I keep saying over and over. The Bible is true. It's 100% true. If it's not true completely, I need to throw it away. Because if I can't decide what's true and what's not true, I have nothing to put my life on. Because it is 100% true, I can put my life completely on the Word of God. And because I can put my life on the Word of God, I don't have to sit down and go, okay, what parts of the Bible are true, what parts are not true, what am I going to believe, what am I not going to believe? Because I go, His Word is true. If somehow after you know, I go in and somebody can say this was wrong and this is, 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 is irrelevant, then I have to throw the Bible away and know that I've wasted almost 50 years of my life. I've been studying for a long time. There's nothing in there that's a contradiction. There's nothing in there that's not true. I know that I have confidence standing on the word of God to live my life. And I will believe it. I have, no, I have no respect for people who do designer, designer religion. I have more respect for the Jehovah's Witness or the, or the Mormon or the, or the Islamic uh, Mormon, uh, Muslims that put their whole trust in what they believe. They're wrong. Their, their books aren't something you can stand on, but at least they put their standing on trust on something. And that they're going, it's not me who's God. For us, have we gotten there? Are we putting our whole trust in Jesus and his word? Every bit of it. Not reserving it. Not having some plan A. You know, Jesus, your plan A, and my plan B is over here. I do enough good things that God's going to like me, maybe. And so, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to put, you know, believe in you, but I'm also going to put my good works in there. 
The sad thing is there's a lot of Christians who live that way. Jesus, you're you're my salvation, you're my savior, but I'm going to do lots of good works so I can earn heaven. Well, worse yet, the idea of keeping heaven. We need to be very careful about that. Everything about our salvation is by grace. For by grace are we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I will include that for by grace are we kept in our salvation, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's very important that we know how we get God's pleasure. By grace. Purely. By grace. Now the wonderful thing about this is when we step out and we do the hard thing that our cross is representing, all the glory that's on the other side. We don't see the glory when we're looking at the cross. Even for Jesus, when he went to the cross, because he was God, he knew resurrection was coming, which is why he could endure the cross. How do we endure our cross? Not that we necessarily know what's coming on the other side, but we have a promise. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. We embrace our cross, and God brings something good on the other side. Noah embraced his cross. He built an ark. He went through a year floating on his floating zoo (laughs) before he finally got out. But he had salvation on the other side. Abraham leaves his family and wanders in the Canaan for the rest of his life on a promise that God's going to bless him and his, and his nation. He, he's going to produce a nation that is so large that everybody's going to be blessed. And in his case, he dies with one child. He has a big nation. God renews that statement to Isaac. Isaac follows in the same thing, the promise of a nation, promise of a nation. He doubles his father's nation. He gets two. Jacob comes along and Jacob gets 12. A few generations later, when they leave Egypt, there's about three and a half million of them. The promise had finally come true. Sometimes the promises come true very slow by us as by our human standards. Sometimes the promise may not even be fully seen until we get to heaven. But you know, we look at this. We look through the scriptures and look how many times did God bless people on earth? Moses leads a crazy people for 40 years and he takes them right to the border of the promised land. And God says, because of your disobedience with the, with the rock, you're not going in, but your people are going to go in. And they go in. David mostly obeys God for his lifetime. And God says, you're a man after my own heart. You're my, you know, one that I love. Why? Because he sought God. And David is one that can give us great, great uh, acceptance of God's grace. David was a murderer, adulterer, you know, very insecure, very angry person in many parts of his life, and yet God loved him and said, he's a man after my heart because he would turn to God and seek God. 
Many times we get to a place where we have a problem in our life where we really mess up. And I know nobody in this room has ever messed up. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we get in there and sometimes we mess up really bad. And God says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Now, when we sin as a Christian, does that mean we're going to go to hell? No. But we get out of fellowship with God. It is easy to get out of fellowship with God because when we're sinning and we know that we're sinning and we don't want to repent from our sin, the last thing we want to do is be in the Bible. The last thing we want to do is be praying. The last thing we want to do is be in church with all those other saints out there that are perfect. I mean, and, we all, and we're all laughing about that, but you know when you're, when you're having a bad problem with God, you're thinking just that? All those other people in church are perfect. They, they don't have any problems. You know, when, you're, when you're walking with God, you know you're in a, bunch, in a group with a bunch of sinners that all have problems and all, and all live by grace. But when you're, when you're under conviction, you think of the people at the church as being those perfect people you don't want to be around. And I know you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because been there, done that myself. You know, God, I don't still, they're all doing really good. They're all perfect. I don't want to be around them. I'm going to feel more guilty. And God says, that's exactly what I want you to do. Feel more guilty so that you'll repent. You know, and the great news is, is we're not guilty in the first place. When we are saved, God calls us his perfect children. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ, and he deals with us as we will be in, the, in our glorified state. And yet, when we are sinning and out of fellowship, we look at ourselves as totally worthless, totally out there, and God is saying, come back, you're my child. Every one of us, if we had a prodigal child who was just waiting for that child to come back in repentance and say, yes, you're, you're still part of the family. You know, they're not, they never get rejected. You know, people will say, well, I'm not part of the family because you, you just don't love me anymore. They may say that, but it still doesn't change the fact that they're part of your family. You may even feel like they're not part of your family, but it's still not true. When God makes us part of his family, we are part of his family. No matter how I feel, no matter what I do, if I am truly one of his children, I am one of his children. He does not kick us out. He goes, oh, no, you've been just so bad, I'm totally disowning you. He doesn't disown his children. He waits patiently, just as the father of the prodigal son was looking for his son to return, watching for his son to return, and saying, you're back. And what did he say when the son said, I don't deserve to be your, your son anymore, I deserve to be a servant? You know, the father was good. Oh, yeah, go back. You're going to live in the servant's quarter until you, until you paid off enough debt and become, a kid, you know, become my kid again. No, he says, you're my child. He says, give him a new cloak. Put some shoes on his feet. Get ready for this party. My son who is gone is back home. Do you realize that is how God is looking at you if you are his child? He's looking at you. If you're far away, he's saying, come back. Come back. Repent. There is nothing we can do that is so bad that God says, I do not forgive you. He will always forgive. He will always accept. Up until the point we die. Now, when we're standing in front of God, everybody's going to want to repent. When they're standing at the white throne judgment, everybody's going to say, hey, I, I believe in Jesus now. Too late. <laughs> Too late to repent at that point because when we see, it is not by faith anymore. 
when we're standing at God waiting to be thrown into the lake of fire, everybody's going to want to repent. Matter of fact, it says that every knee will bow at the, at the right throne judgment and confess that he is God, and that is not salvation confession. That is confessing the God that you're standing before is God, and that he had made a plan, and it's too late. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We have a few short years to decide what we're going to do with God. And then we have eternity to, to reap the benefits or the punishment for that decision. But always keep in mind, when God is asking you to do something hard, there's a reward coming. It may be an eternal reward. Who knows? It may just be an eternal reward. But there is a reward on the opposite side of the cross. And if you've gone through enough trials and tribulations and stepped out with God, you know what it means. It is great to step out and follow God and then say, wow, God, what a blessing. Wow, I'm on the other side of this blessing. Somebody got saved. It was wonderful. I opened my mouth and talked, and somebody got saved. I opened my mouth and shared with people, and it blessed them. You know, one of the great things about it, when we serve God, people will tell us how blessed they are, that they got served. But the greatest thing about it is we need it as much or more than they need it. When we step out to serve somebody for Christ and bless them, there's a feeling that goes along with it. There's a joy that says, I, I obeyed God, and I'm getting blessed as much as anybody else. And it is a wonderful thing to step out and serve God, to reach out and help somebody for God. and get, They get blessed, and we get blessed. And on the other side of the hard, the hard place is a blessing. Just as Jesus went to the cross, why? So that we could get saved. Now, I've said this sometimes. I don't know. I think he got the short end of the stick out of the deal. But, you know, he died and, we, and he gets us. But he saw great value in that and said, I'm going to redeem millions of these human beings, maybe even billions of these human beings to spend eternity with me and the Father. When God puts that cross in front of you, embrace that cross and go through, that, through the pain of that cross. The cross is always painful. It's, it is painful to, to obey God. It is painful to have him take things out of us that we think are important. But on the other side is a resurrection and life that is worth it. Jesus went to the cross and it was not a good, easy thing to do to take the sins of the world upon his body, to take the beating that we deserved, but on the other side was resurrection. The other side was the church being birthed. The other side was billions of people that were going to spend eternity with him and the Father because of the pain that he had short term. Paul said he thanked God for his light afflictions in, in, in comparison to eternity. Now, we all know Paul's life. His light afflictions were shipwreck beatings, being chased out of towns, being cursed, being, being beat up. You know, and he called those light afflictions. Now, most of us would say, Paul, you're nuts. But Paul said, compared to the heavenly reward. And I don't think he wasn't just looking at heaven. I think he was looking at how many people had gotten saved, how many churches had been started, how many people's lives were being changed. 
and then heaven beyond that. But when I can tell you, one of the greatest things I have is when I disciple somebody and watch them grow in Christ and go, this person's life has changed. They're no longer doing the things that they've done. They're no longer living a lifestyle of destruction. They're living a lifestyle of life. And then your goal is, God, help them get even further than I am. Help them get to a place where they're helping more people than I could ever touch. Help them get to a place where they make me need to go to them <laughs> to learn. Do we really have that kind of attitude when we're looking at things? Because I've seen people who get very, very jealous. The, the discipler starts really jumping ahead and making great progress, and they get jealous. Well, God, I'm not getting blessed like that. I'm not getting blessed the way they did. No, you got blessed to be able to get them started. You know, I think back, you know, who led Billy Graham to the Lord, you know, and it's, you know, there, nobody really knows him. If you've studied his life, you'd know that it was a guy who hadn't led anybody else to the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, he gets credit for everything that Billy Graham is because he's the one that started him on the, on the path. He was obedient and spoke. When we get to heaven, we're going to find that we have more rewards than we ever have dreamed of. That's kind of amazing as we get further on with God and further on with God and we start getting to a place where we can't do as much as we wanted to do or want to do. Satan starts attacking us and saying that you're worthless, you never touch anybody, you've never done anything in your life. And it's time for us to look back and say, God, thank you for all the people that I've touched. Thank you for all that is accomplished. Do not let Satan destroy your faith because you cannot go out and do all the things that you've that you want to do. Someday, if I live long enough and God doesn't return, I'll get to the age where it's going to be harder for me to, to speak, and I might even have to retire from, from preaching. I have an easy job. All I got to do is stand up here and study and, you know, sit down, study, and, and stand up and speak. But you know, I've watched pastors who have gone way beyond what they should be doing. They're still preaching when their mental capacities aren't there to, to preach. And it's like, you should step down and let somebody else do it. You can do something else. There is a time when we cannot do all the things we used to do. And in this church, we've got a lot of people that are getting close to that age, if not there already. <laughs> you know, don't retire completely. <laughs> Take whatever you can do and do it well, but be on the other side of it and realize that you used to go to church, you know, 20 times a week, you can't do that anymore. You know, you can't, you can't be there every time. You can't do all the things that you would want to do. Do what God has given you to do. One of the hard things for us to do as Christians is to serve God in what is best. Oftentimes, we settle for good rather than best. And sometimes that means I'm just so busy, I'm doing so much that I don't do anything well. And we've all probably done that sometime in our life. And I've done that myself. I was so busy doing all kinds of things in the church. And that hasn't been here. Don't get me wrong, not here. But been so busy doing things in the church, doing lots and lots of stuff, and feeling burnt out. And saying, God, it is too much. And God said, well, stop doing some of it. I'm, you're doing a lot of stuff I didn't tell you to do. But God, if I don't do it, nobody will do it. You know? If you ever think that, stop doing whatever it is you're doing. For two reasons. Number one, either it's not supposed to be done, 
If nobody else in the church is going to do it and you're, the only, and you're doing it only because somebody has to do it, it probably doesn't need to be done. Or because you're doing it, the person who's supposed to be doing it is, is not stepping forward because somebody's in the job that they felt they were supposed to do. But beyond that is if we're doing too many things, we'll burn ourselves out and we'll stop doing everything at some point because we're just so busy. Talk to God and say, God, what is it that you want me doing? And then do that with your whole heart, mind, soul, and your strength that you have. If it's only one thing that you can do, do it completely. If God gives you two and three things to do and you're young enough and strong enough to do them, go and do those two or three things that God has told you to do. But for everybody, it starts with one. It starts with one thing that he asks you to do. And when you start it, usually you do not know where it's going to lead. When I started teaching my first Sunday school class at age 15, I did not know that it was going to lead to being a pastor someday. It, it was not even on the forefront of my mind. I'm just, we need a Sunday school teacher. I enjoy teaching. I'll start teaching these kids. And I started teaching those kids. And I taught more kids. And I taught more kids. And I taught more kids. And I started teaching Bible studies. And, you know, you don't know where what God puts you in is going to start. There is nothing so small that it's not important to begin with. And you don't know where those small things are going to take you. This church started, you know, long, long time ago. And I'm guaranteeing you that it didn't start the first day they opened up the church and had 100 people in it. Even though the church was big enough for that to happen, they probably only had a couple families at best coming here. We don't know when we start something what's going to happen with it. There are lots of churches that started with four or five people doing a Bible study. And all of a sudden, God kept adding people, adding to people, adding people, and it became a church. All kinds of missions where people just said, this needs to be done, and they start doing it, and all of a sudden, they're helping hundreds, thousands. We don't know what God has in store, and we don't know how God measures things in the first place. You know, when we get to heaven, you may be rewarded just because you were kind to somebody and you said a nice thing to them one day. And God, I don't even remember being kind to them, God, but that changed their heart. They needed, they needed that smile you gave them that day. When God is giving us something to do, do it. And when Satan attacks us and saying, you are worthless, don't believe it. Because he wouldn't be telling you that if you weren't. Didn't have great value. He wants to stop us from serving. A phone call. How many people have ever received a phone call at just the right time that made you feel really good that that person just called you and thought about you? You were having a miserable day. Everything was wrong, and all you did was get a phone call. And that person probably doesn't even realize what they did. They don't realize that you changed their entire day just by, by a phone call. And all they were responding to God, call that person and just say, hi, I was thinking about you. We don't know all of what we're going to be blessed with because we don't understand all the blessings that we've been accomplished to people. Think about some of the things that have blessed you, the simple things. Just the calls, the little smile, somebody being nice to you. Maybe just holding the door open for you. you know, 
You don't know all the little things that can change somebody's life and how many little things that you have done that has changed somebody's life is going to amaze you when you stand before God and he throws all your works in the fire and out come out all these little precious gems and jewels and you're going, God, I don't even, where did all these things happen? I never taught a Bible study. I never, I never did any great things and you end up with a whole pile of things because you were just doing kind things to people. It should be more than just that, but understand, it, little things are what we're going to be rewarded for in heaven. When Jesus gave the parable, that he goes, many will, in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they give off a whole bunch of good things. Go, I visited the, I visited the sick in the hospitals. I went to the prisons. I clothed the, I clothed the naked. I gave food to people. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because he did it all for the wrong reasons. Then he turns to the ones that are going to heaven and says, you did all these things. And they go, when did we do all these things? Every time you did it to the least. Every time we help somebody without even knowing it, without thinking about it, when we're kind to somebody, when we share the gospel message with them, when we are just giving them good, a fresh cup of water, being kind to them, they can respond. What happens with us on our cross first? Do we believe? Do we truly, totally trust in God? Do I trust him enough to embrace the hard cross that he's put in front of me to get the victory on the other side? Know that when God puts you through a hard time, there's a victory on the other side. That victory may lead to death and martyrdom, but there's still victory on the other side because on the other side of that, it will be heaven. No matter what we go through on this world, Ultimately, we have victory because we're, we have heaven on the other side of his child. The good news is he gives us good in this world. We have great blessings t in this world. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this through the radio, through the internet that doesn't know you and have put their full trust in you, Lord, we ask that today they will put their full trust in you that they will admit that they are lost without you, that they will admit that they need you and turn over, surrender their life to you in full trust. Lord, for the rest of us that know you, we ask that you will again even convict us to put our full trust in you and give up our desires and our wants for what you want from us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 
826-8-6431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.